this thing with uh, Cheech from Cheech and Chong, mm-hmm. where uh, we did drove, he meet you in Oxnard? Well, we from drove <laughs> we drove in a minivan. We were supposed to um, uh, review the minivan. Like all the features of this thing, so we drove. <laughs> yeah, me, me and Cheech reviewed a, a minivan, and uh, and I said, "Where do you want to go?" He's like, "You ever been to the Nard?" And I'm like, "Nard." Nard. He's like, "Yeah, we, we, let's go to the Nard." Yeah, Oxnard. We drove this thing to Oxnard. That's cool. I we did. They played the Roxy, um, six nights, which is twelve shows to me. Yeah. Right, I laughed. Every show, you know, it was when he came out in the tutu and the na 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 na. You know, Mama talking to me, trying to tell me how to live. (laughs) Yep. They track that here. No, that was at the Roxy. No, no, but they did track some stuff here. I think. I I think they did work here. I don't know what it was. Uh, I don't remember them either. But But that was that one album, though. uh, It is the best use of a distorted vocal. The one where it's like class. Class, Sister Mary Elephant, when she screams, shut up, and it distorts like crazy. It's like, that is fucking hilarious. They were really funny. So Questlove, an amazing drummer for The Roots. He's on The Tonight Show. He's a giant Prince historian, a fabulous producer, musician. He had a few questions, if you wouldn't mind answering them to the sure. best of your ability. Uh, Prince wanted, or Questlove wanted to know, what was the longest stretch of consecutive time you spent working on a song with Prince? It's kind of a tough one because, you know, we did work that one song for 24 hours at a time. But when Doves Cry was a marathon weekend... But some songs you worked on and then you thought they were finished and then he'd come back to them. So probably when Doves Cry, that was probably the longest that we worked on one song. Yeah, because that would have been like three days, you said, roughly? Yeah, I mean, Purple Rain was a bigger production than 1999. So there were a lot of songs that, you know, like Purple Rain, actually, we revisited and put the strings on and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, I mean, there were songs that we came back to but when Dove's Cry was probably consecutive yeah so three days okay <laughs> three days quest were the drums used between controversy to sign of the times consistently the same were they his personal drums were they SIR rentals were they studio drums what type of drums do you recall the setup were they tracked in an ISO booth or a large room can the drum these drums be specifically located <laughs> yeah first of all we didn't they use an drums, isolation right? Yeah, and there wasn't an isolation booth. We just found the sweet spot of the room and put them wherever. And they stayed there. And then everything else was set up around it. But um, it was either the drum machine or, you know, the drums. Well, you've got to tell people your miking technique for the drum kit because they will lose their mind if they don't hear it from you. I can't remember. (laughs) (laughs) She secretly can't remember. I wish I could find... You know, and that was the thing is we had a stock way that we, you know, certain mics for... Certain drums. Certain, no, Setup. for certain, you know, instruments. Like the kick was a certain mic. And, oh, yeah. And I can't remember. I mean, it was stock at that time of what you used. And you didn't usually, you know, vary from that or, you know, get off that track. I mean, 87s for overheads and, you know. Could be in the book. Could be in the book. Could look. Well, you know, I don't remember that book. Check, check and see if there is there anything with a Prince 
uh, document in here? Let's, let's, I don't think. No, I looked for prints. I didn't see I anything for did prints. Possibly through. I uh, asked you. And if he knew that you were writing it down, he would probably freak. Give me that. Give yeah. Me that piece of paper. And <laughs> the only people that would have done it with somebody like Coke or somebody, you know, that. I talked to Coke yesterday. He said to tell you hi, and he was supposed to uh, send me a question, but I didn't like the one he presented first. And I said, I need something better than that. But <laughs> I'll have to email it to you. Um, <laughs> would Prince ever have listening sessions of other people, other artists, like ask for a turntable to be set up so he can listen to Exile on Main Street or the new Thomas Dolby album? No. No. In fact, one time I came in singing um, Culture Club. You remember that oh, really, really big hit? Me. Yeah. And I was saying it, and he said, hey, that's a competition. Stop. Oh, like, that's a oh. competition. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I said, it's a great song. Mm-mm. No. Okay, last question. Can you name a random non-characteristic act that occurred during any Prince session that stands out? Maybe you stopped a session to play Atari or threw an impromptu Thanksgiving meal or had people randomly come in from the street to hear a song. Or maybe he had Todd Bridges play tambourine on a track. Or stopped a session to treat you guys to a Laker game. Hello, I'm naming things I've done, but you get the gist. So you mentioned the movie where he took you to a movie. Yeah, and the birthday song and, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, one time he came in and said, he said, let's go see a movie. I'm going to go see a movie. And I said, okay. And he said, come with me. And I said, oh, no, sweet, I'll just, I'll just stay here. And he said, no. And he had a beautiful suit on and he said, I got girls' panties in my pocket. <laughs> and he did. He had some lace underwear in his pocket. He had a hat on. He looked really good. And I said, okay. So we took off and went to see a movie down on Fairfax at the Vintage Theater. It was a diva. Still there. Yeah. Like an indie yeah. theater. Yeah. And, yeah. Do you think that he kind of wanted to treat you to something nice? That's why he maybe was planning on going to the movie so he got dressed up but didn't want to let you know that you know i never knew i mean i would love to think that he was but it wasn't like it was you know it's like the birthday song i didn't know that was for me you know or like the going on the road with him that was a gift kind but he didn't really know how he didn't know how to you know yeah you know what peggy would like i'm gonna take her to see home alone three right In a limo with yeah. girls' underwear in my pocket. Yeah, that's sweet. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, you don't know. He didn't have a lot of... Social skills. Yeah. I mean, you know, he'd say stuff like, you'd be cute if you dressed different instead of jeans and T-shirts. And I said, well, buy me some clothes. You know, I mean, this is what, that, what's, that's what's worked when you were <laughs> hopping in the studio, you know? I mean, that's what you had to do. I, I dressed like a boy. I you stood up to him, though, you know, especially early on in controversy yeah. where you said, I got to listen to you. I got to be able to understand what you're saying. You know, look at me. Yeah, that's before you get beaten down with <laughs> <laughs> abuse. No, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, it wasn't. Usually when you when you come into the studio, it's like it's transitory. Yeah, because these people come in, but they're your family and you're tight and you hang out with them. And then they go away, you know, and then another one comes in. I remember Fogelberg once said, once said to me, we were on our third album or something. He said, come on, Peggy, you know, we're, we're doing another album. And I said, yeah, I just broke, you know, a three-month session down last night. And then you're coming in Monday morning, you know, starting another one. You get enthusiastic. Just, in yeah, it's a little hard yeah. to, to get it yeah. up for that. <laughs> When you're tired. You um, have mentioned that there are songs on the radio, famous songs that have mistakes in them. I've 
I'd love to know just one title track that you hear on the radio or there's two that always stand out to me one is that um it's a war song and I can't remember what it was but it was like they hit that really bad note and the other one I was just listening to it the other day it was the one with Kid Rock and Shell Crow you know, you're sleeping in a hotel and sleeping next to her or whatever. Uh, oh, picture. the picture, yeah. That was like yeah. Note. They hit the sourest note on the guitar for a solo. It's like, really? I don't, and maybe that was intentional, but I, I, I yeah, I hear mistakes in Oh, I, but I was referring to Prince. Oh, Prince, I don't think he made many mistakes. Okay, there wasn't, <laughs> there's nothing out that's like. I mean, I wish I'd had more time to spend on the drums and get better sounds on stuff, but. Um, you worked fast, and with him, it was a trade-off. You worked as fast as you could to not blow the the momentum of it. But, you know, I mean, I wish I'd had more time to get levels. and You could not touch anything, because I fed his headphones through what I was recording through the monitor panel. So he could hear anything that you did. If you touched a phase switch, he could hear it. If you clicked the EQ because you didn't, you know, you thought it needed to be brighter, he could hear that. And he yelled at me many times, don't touch anything, level or anything. So hmm. if there was another take, I mean, sometimes you're going, oh God, oh God. And then if there was another take, then you could kind of adjust. But other than that, he wouldn't let you touch a thing. And he knew, it's frightening. Wow. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't even scooch something up a little. He heard, he could hear it. Don't touch anything. It's like, okay, okay, okay. So he had really good ears. Though. He had really good ears. Yeah. And you didn't ever try to test that? You didn't ever try to be like, let's see if he knows. Uh, sure. And I usually got, in fact, the biggest fight that he and David Leonard had was David came in to check my drum sound, right? And he was pushing the phase button on the, on the underneath snare. Mm -hmm. And Prince heard it. And he, he yelled, because I knew I wasn't supposed to touch anything. But David didn't. And and uh, so, and I think, yeah. So anyway, he yelled at David, and David walked out of the room, and he said, so did I make him mad? And I said, mm, yeah, yeah, kind of. <laughs> so he actually would do that. He would yell at a guy. Yeah. So he yelled at David. Yeah, and I think that uh, that was when he got bigger. And I think that that was what, why he liked women. Mm. Because. More controlling. Well, yeah, probably more controlling. We mm. didn't really, there weren't egos. There was no dick measuring contest with, oh, sorry. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know. I mean, we, yeah, we just did what he said and there was yeah. no ego involved. So I think that that, you know, when he was the boss and everybody, he didn't like to be crossed, Yeah. you know, and uh, I think guys would do that more than women. Do you, Just in general. There's this great video that I'm sure everyone at this table and a lot of the viewers have seen of the James Brown concert here at the Wiltern, I believe. And Michael Jackson was there and Prince was there. And Prince slipped, made a fool of himself, grabbed on a pole that was... Oh, painful. I saw that first when he did. He was on American Bandstand. It was the first time he ever performed... Um, live televised live mm -hmm. and dick clark comes up to speak to him and he is so awkward and he can't he's just twitching with tension <laughs> and he can't talk and he says he's a little one you know how he did those little jerk answers like that and i guess he saw that and was just horribly embarrassed and decided that he was going to try to get more comfortable i mean he was just a really wow. shy person and that other side of him was that person that, you know, 
jumping around on stage and you know i i, I don't know it was hard because he was awkward yeah. he was uncomfortable to um in his own skin yeah that's why i was asking about him here if he ever <clears throat> interfaced with anybody else but no i mean he was kind of personable with me but not what i would call personable yeah i'm sure he was more than he was with other people I remember everybody was, oh, he's so handsome. And I said, yeah, he is really handsome. I cannot imagine being vulnerable with that guy. <laughs> you know? I mean, seriously. How did he um, How did he get together with Sheena Easton to do that great song? David that and Greg. Who? Oh, that was David and, and Greg. me. Oh, okay. It was you guys. <laughs> yeah. He didn't just bump into her out no. here. Because no. she was over at Sound Factory, I guess. Yeah. David asked for a song. Yeah. We got them together. That was all staged. <laughs> Got it. Good to know. A song. What were we talking about? Uh, "Stand Back" by Stevie Nicks. Oh yeah. You know anything about that? <laughs> that was. I have my Stevie Nicks story. No, I don't know anything about that. But I know oh. that she was. Um, she was after him. And he, it was after. Um, <laughs> Bring it on. It's after 1999 at the at Universal Amphitheater, and I had gotten everybody to go because it was such an incredible show in mm -hmm. Houston and Dallas. I was completely, hard to blow me away, and I was completely blown away. So I wanted everybody to come that I knew around here, my music friends, you know, Greg was there, and um, he changed it up, and he made it real rock and roll instead of, oh. and I was, and loud, you know, it was like, huh. So I said something to him later at the after party, because they had a big tent set up, and they had music and everything, and I said, how come you changed the show? And he said, I liked it. And I said, okay. So obviously you weren't going to say anything, but it didn't go over like his, you know, his Texas shows. To yeah. me, it didn't. Mm. It was, anyway, so there was a big party afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> you might want to cut this out. Stevie Nicks was like dancing around him and. Around him? Yeah. And he grabs a hold of me and he's, hey, dance with me. <laughs> <laughs> really? You know, He's trying to get away from her. <laughs> he was just afraid of her. But her skirts were up, and her butt was hanging out. And it was like <laughs> I laughed so hard because wow. you know I was I was his safety net, I guess. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know what happened there. Maybe he got comfortable and gave her a song. I don't know. We had heard something, but she was inspired by Little Red Corvette. She was in Studio One and uh, called Prince up and said, "Can you give you some advice? Can you help?" He said, "I'll be right there." Came cool. down, 25 minutes, played piano, produced the whole thing up, left, didn't say even bye, as he never did. Yeah. And that was the track. And you can hear a little red Corvette that's influenced in the song Stand Back. Me and Paul were listening to it the other day. But he, I love little red Corvette. I thought it was a great. And Steve Farnoli yeah. came in and talked to him and said, this song will not be played on Kiss because it's like in and out and around your leg kind of thing, pocket full of Trojans, you know, all that kind right. of stuff. Mm -hmm. She said, they won't play this on Kiss. And Prince says, I don't care. Don't play it then. Yeah. And that was kind of his, that was kind of his attitude all along. You don't like it? Fine. Don't listen. So. We mentioned Michael Jackson a little bit ago. That story I was telling you, had he, in my opinion, Michael, as we all know, um, had Quincy Jones. Michael did. And, he had help and writers, and Prince was self-produced, played every instrument, and was vastly more talented. Did, would he mention Michael at all about Thriller? And I know there's a, something in Ted Templeton's book about 
Ted approaching him here and saying, you need to do something like Thriller and Prince almost punched him. Well, I think Prince showed up in Ted's office. There was like a secret entrance to Ted's office at Warner Brothers. Oh, yeah, because, yeah. Because I think Prince was over there. Ted said he used to go and listen to music or do something in his office when Ted wasn't there. But then one day he walked in and Prince was there. And so as far as I recall in the book, there was uh, some talk about, you know, uh, if you really want to get to your thriller, like your big thing, you probably need a producer. Why don't you call Quincy? And he's, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to do myself, you know? So, wow. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, too, that I always thought was amazing. He had nobody to bounce that off of. You know, he didn't, he didn't collaborate with musicians. It wasn't like you sat down and, you know, yeah, what do you think? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he would bring people in that would compliment him and could read what he wanted, but it's not like he ever sat down and collaborated with anybody. And I think that's the way he was most comfortable because he had trouble communicating. But it's interesting because the bands that he put together were really amazing. They, they all worked very well as a unit. They were clearly their job was to watch him at all times and and be ready to respond to whatever he was going to do but you'd have to have some way of communicating that uh oh i'm sure it communicated at practice yeah but everybody was pretty like me they were yeah. all kind of like you know waiting for the, <laughs> the yeah. next the <laughs> next thing cuz that's just kind of in fact later when i saw him you know when he did 20 20 days for 20 dollars at the forum to try I, to save I the didn't form. see it, but I heard, yeah. Yeah. And I had tried, because my kids would come in, and I had the records on the wall, and my, you know, my son would look up and say, did you really work with that guy? And I said, yeah, for five years. And he was like, you know, I was a mom. I didn't, that, that, didn't, that didn't translate to them. <laughs> yeah. So I really wanted them to see Prince and, you know, see who he was. And, and I would try to look at a show, and they were like $1,300 a ticket. It's like, oh, jeez. You yeah. know? Not even what I go see that, let alone take two kids. So when they did 20 nights for 20 bucks at the forum, I bought four tickets right away and they took two friends. So I took my two kids and two friends and then I got a little better tickets. <laughs> Good for you. A little closer down. And I was glad to see that he started collaborating with Equal talent, equally talented musicians instead of, and I'm not saying that they weren't talented, but they were green and most of them were picked for their looks kind of thing. Does, yeah. does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I mean, he was young. He was 20 years old. And, and it was, was the MTV era where it was yeah. you, you yeah. listen to music with your eyes. Yeah. And all of the, all of his, you know, all the girls were pretty. Everybody was pretty. And these people weren't perfect, but they were really talented musicians. And I was glad to see that that matured in him because I thought his talent could be enhanced by equally as talented musician, that he wasn't always leading it. You know, he wasn't always driving everything, that he could actually collaborate with somebody. He was so talented. Did he seem like he was having fun, though, at at times? Yeah, I mean, but even in the studio, was By himself, yes. Yeah. He loved it. He loved every. He just loved it. So, but he would be in a good mood and be like, well, yeah. "Today's a great day. Check this out." He, yeah. He would. He would share things with you like that sometimes, or no. 
Uh, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> but you could tell that he was pleased with the song or, you know, like the, ain't nobody can believe I do this, you yeah. know, punching out the bass. Yeah. You know, you could tell that he was in a good mood. If he talked, he was in a good mood. Wow. I mean, yeah. he, he didn't talk. Literally, he would come in, make a pot, uh, make a cup of coffee, and start on a machine. He didn't say good morning. He didn't say anything. And you were ready. He might grunt. You know, he might, you know, like <laughs> Notoriously, that. Notoriously, he liked a lot of sugar, right? So yeah. what, when you say coffee, was it mostly it coffee? It was mostly sugar. <laughs> um, it was a little cup, about two-thirds full of white sugar cubes with coffee poured on top and cremora. And wow. that's what he ran on until I was starving to death and had to eat something. <laughs> I saw Susan Rogers. We did a um, AES show yeah. in New York, and they wanted us to talk on a panel. We, they called us the OGs, the original goddesses that worked with Prince. <laughs> and uh, she told me, she said, you know, one of the first things you told me when I was taking over for you is coffee loses about a third of its caffeine right after it's brewed so if you want to go home don't make him a fresh pot of coffee <laughs> that Use was my advice stuff. to her <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then somebody said that they used to you know he'd say okay make me a cup of tea he i guess he stopped drinking coffee and started drinking tea so they would go into at paisley park they would go and pull the the um tag off of the decaf and stick a regular calf and staple it on and so when they give him decaf to try to get him to get sleepy and go home <laughs> wow. straight up chamomile yeah. right. would he eat ever um yeah and he accused me of oh, trying to feed make him. him sleepy so he'd go <laughs> home got really mad at me what you're just you? trying to make me sleepy and go home it's like no can i can i eat <laughs> we need food to survive yeah he wow. didn't eat and he was terrified of getting fat really mm -hmm. huh because he had some overweight people in his family, I guess, and he just was terrified. And he was a little tiny thing, you know. Oh, I know. He was a little, little tiny thing. Little guy. In With fact, platforms. I know. <laughs> Six-inch heels. Yeah. After the the forum concert, that I told him I wouldn't go unless I had a limo and a backstage pass. That was sitting next to Madonna. He came back. Came back to the studio. I mean, who does that? You go to a concert. Oh, he did. Yeah, he came back wow. to the studio. And he had, on stage, he had a black lace unlined suit on with a G-string. With a G-string. Yeah. So there was, it was see-through. Everything was see-through except for just the very front part. And um, I remember Susan said, I kind of don't want to see the hair on my boss's ass. And I said, I know. <laughs> That's what he wore to the studio was that black lace suit. We came in wearing that mm -hmm. at midnight. Mm -hmm. Did he actually do any work? Wow. I can't remember. You know, probably did diddled around. It was more of what he, I'm, I'm sure not all the time, but more of like, I can get all these people to go into the studio and I can dick around for two hours and then go home, you know? So, uh, yeah. Power. Yeah, you didn't get the night off. Do you I mean, have a key here? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> no. no he You'd have just, to let him in, right? Yeah. He probably had the room... Um, he had a booked. 24, yeah, 24. And, uh, you know, he was paying for it. And he just, you know, he shows when he shows. And mm -hmm. the security guard would have flown yeah. him in. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. And, uh, well, I had to be here, too. He never came without me. But. Yeah. I remember one time he got stopped. It was, because when I first knew him, he didn't have a car. He um, he borrowed his manager's car. 
when he was here. And so then, you know, then after Purple Rain, he started bringing the motorcycle or 1999, he started bringing the motorcycle and he had a 750 BMW painted purple. At first it was black. So he would have it trucked out here. And he, he left one time, he left the studio and he got stopped because he had his windows blacked out. Which oh, yeah, you can't, tinted. Yeah, right. really tinted on the driver and passenger side. And the cops stopped him and they said, you know, where are you coming from? And he said, I'm coming from the studio. And they said, what, what, what studio? And he told them, I think it was just right around here. And he told me the story the next day. He said, they said, oh, do you sing country? And Prince said, oh, have you seen Willie Nelson? I wouldn't touch country. <laughs> <laughs> So he gave him a little lip. So they, they didn't know go. who he was. No, that would have been like nobody knew controversy who he, then. Yeah, no, yeah. it was it because he, he had a car, so it was after 1999. Okay, mm. that but black you know, BMW cops aren't bought. gonna cops aren't gonna know who he is. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, just a few more questions, and we'll let you get going. And we have like 20 fan questions. I'll try to pick a few out. Um, you, Susan Rogers, Sylvia Massey, Lisa Chamblay, all these great female engineers. Worked with him in all these different periods of his life from, you know, he was still somewhat obscure uh, and dirty mind. And when he came in here before controversy or the ending of controversy, what was so special, do you think, about the time that you spent with him as opposed to the Paisley Park? Or would you have rather been at the Paisley Park kind of sessions? No. Um, And the reason is uh, Susan Rogers pointed this out and it made a lot of sense. He was a different person in each era like with me he was young and hungry and green with susan he was that mega rock star with sylvia he was that seasoned mega rock star which i'm glad i didn't see and then with lisa life had beat him up and he was so susan pointed out that lisa and i got him when he was more human and i (laughs) thought yeah that's really true because you know he was young and still hungry and coming up and then you know you realize life beats you up and can't stay up there forever and i think that that's and i i I think his drive to be a star was really powerful and then you know once you get there you're just there you're you're still the same person you just have a lot more money and you still have the same problems so i think that you know life life beat him up pretty badly wow do you feel that if you had been with a different artist for five or six years that you would have continued on in at sunset or in uh, recording that's tough because he showed me you know it was everyone lasted about five years with him though yeah but you know the thing about the 80s it was excess do you remember they used to spend a week on a fucking snare sound it's like yeah. give me a break and i literally had five minutes to get a drum sound he taught me another side that it doesn't matter you know, that little picky cocaine out shit doesn't matter. <laughs> you know, you get it. If it's a good song, you get it down. It's a good song. You know, I mean, that's kind of what I realized. I mean, we did a song all in one day. Some of them were huge hits. So yeah, that absolutely. spending, you know, two weeks on a snare sound really didn't matter. And it was that time of excess, you know, the budgets were huge. It was getting ridiculous. Yeah, there was no end to it. There was, it was no just end to it. Wide open. Yeah, and just hours and hours and weeks and months. It got grueling and boring. You yeah. know, I mean, you're just 
you just lived in this dark hole here. It was just really, you know, it wasn't it really wasn't a life. Do you remember there was a there was a magazine commercial or a magazine advertisement in one of our magazines, Mix Magazine or something? It's this guy sitting at the console with his head down and cigarettes overflowing and tape all over and you know two cups of dried out coffee oh, and he yeah. said, "Yeah." Studio is so glamorous, and that's kind of what it was, you know. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't a glamorous place. Everybody, it was work. I mean, yeah, it was better so than some work, but <laughs> had a hard time having an outside life. Yeah, a relationship, but a wife, or anything could be glamorous. It could be could exciting, be. and you know, just I think it really depends on the day and the artists and stuff too, because you must have lots of great memories oh, of yeah. certain sessions where. You got to see something, you know, for example, like uh, when the Beatles did uh, that orchestral session and uh, and the first time they would have heard the playback of, uh, you know, Day in the Life. Right. Things like that. Moments like that happen in studios and lots of stuff like that happened here at Sunset Sound, you know, from the Beach Boys to whatever, like really classic moments. And you can moments. hear that. On in the music, I can hear that excitement in the music, you know. But it not not all sessions are like that. True, you know. And I've I've seen, you know, when you you made a, a monitor mix, and took it home that night, and then we played beat the demo because nobody that was that was the mix because it was the, you know, the feeling of it that night. So yeah, there was the magic of music. They just got fewer and fewer the farther and farther you get, got into it. And it could have been me, it could have been the time. I got sick of the manufactured music and how hard you would work on something and they would shelve it. That was really discouraging. Wouldn't you know? come out, yeah. Yeah, it was just like, oh, we don't hear a hit. It's like, Or the NR got changed. Yeah. yeah, and I remember Andrew Lee said, it used to be like, you'd have a hit record and, you know, you'd have a couple that weren't so great, but the couple of songs were good. And then you'd have another hit record that the record company stayed with the artist. There was a loyalty that didn't, that wasn't, it was business. You didn't have a hit, you were gone, you know? Yeah. So it became a business. And I I liked it when it was run by artists. <laughs> yeah. What, one on the same topic still, do you have any quick recollections of, some of the best sessions or the best things that happened here at Sunset Sound that you were a part of, you know, obviously uh, Elton John you worked with here, oh, and amazing. that must have had some pretty oh. cool stories. And it was funny how I started working with him is Steve Picaro, me, and my friend, and then one of Steve's uh, roadies. Mm -hmm. We all got a limo. Everybody got what they could afford steve got the limo somebody else got something else i think i bought a bottle of tequila and i left straight from the studio and you know it was like rush 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 and jumped in a limo did a couple of hits and you know went to the amphitheater to see elton john and ray cooper and that was just the two of them at the amphitheater open it was open then and i sat the first row behind the pit so there was nobody in front of me center perfect sound wow. and i loved the amphitheater when it was open yeah and he, I had never heard that song, Candle in the Wind. I burst into tears. I was using Steve's sleeve to wipe my nose because that was my life. You know, she lives her life like a candle in the wind. That's kind of what I felt like. And so those kind of moments, and then I worked with Elton. Mm. And, and Clive, I remember I said to Steve Picaro, I said, I'd love to meet the sound person that made me cry because it's the sound guy. I mean, yeah, it's the musicians, but it's also the sound guy. 
And uh, then I met Clive. He was the engineer, and he was the one that mixed that. Anyway. Oh, so he was doing the lives, mm-hmm. live concert and did the studio mm-hmm. work. Oh, yeah. wow. That's kind of rare. Yeah. I thought it was kind of cool, though. Yeah. So anyway, and then I worked with Elton on two songs. And I realized that that was when I kind of discovered that, you know, a song's a song. And then Elton would come in and start singing and start, you know, harmonizing and start layering. And his mind would go crazy with, the, you know, the lyrics. And it was like, wow. A vocal is really a whole instrument in itself. It's not just the words. It's a whole integral part of it. So, yeah, it was kind of, Elton was a kind of like, who who could, else could you learn on but Elton John? <laughs> One of the masters, yeah. 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 He was so much fun. I remember Bill, was it Bill or Craig, was real worried to put me on that session because so You I couldn't a, handle it or something? No, that I was a girl. They didn't oh, want girls okay. around. Yeah, that would have been Bill. I, I had the best time yeah. with them. Good. We traded makeup and everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, try this blue eyeshadow. <laughs> nice. Did he track piano and vocals at the same time? Mm-hmm. Sometimes. Really? And he probably, as he said in his book, that he loved the way you mic'd piano as well. Who? Prince or? Elton John. I didn't. I was a, an assistant on Elton John. I oh, didn't okay. get the say of anything. So. And that was the one thing I wanted to tell you about the Tom Waits session. Can I tell you yes, that? Yes, of course. Mm-hmm. So I didn't know those guys. I didn't know Biff. And I didn't know. I can't remember who the producer was. But Biff oh, was, Biff Dawes was, was the, the engineer, uh, engineer. Right. Yeah. And I didn't know any of the musicians. I mean, I had heard of Tom Waits, but I didn't know anybody. And so I was just being quiet over, you know, running the tape machine and marking the legends and everything. And they were kind of, they got to this one song and they kept, they did like, I don't know, it was like eight takes of it or something. And so I had to change reels. And they kept going back and forth. Well, do we have it? I don't know. Do we have it? And I remember I used to just kind of star a take that was, that kind of moved me and it kind of clicked. And you saw everybody, you know, kind of getting it all together. And it was pretty early on. I think it was the second or third take. And so they were saying, okay, well, let's listen to what we just did. Well, let's listen to the one before that. And they were really lost on whether they should do another take or not and i said do, do you um i start take three can we listen to that and they all just turned around like who is that and why did she open her mouth i mean i mean seriously you didn't you know as a second you didn't open yeah. your mouth so i boy, the tension you could cut with a knife in the room and i put it on and i played it and they and they listened to it and then they all went Okay, that's the take. <laughs> I was like, yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, you you would try to help in the session in that way. You know, it's like, okay, that was a pretty cool one. You know, might have been a mistake here and there, but that was a pretty cool one. And, you know, I would put little notes on the side of the legend so that I could remember what take was good. Anyway, I be we became a family after that. Well, that's good. Yeah. But, you know, what's weird when, when you tell a story like that, when you're in a studio, there's there's behaviors that can only take place in a studio that normal life would say, hey, you shouldn't treat people that way. You know, so yeah. to be worried to say something when you're actually being helpful and it's like, hey, this is constructive. This is like this is it's helping you guys that that kind of thing. That's what's weird to, to be in the studio, because there's a certain kind of like creative headspace that you're not supposed to to mm-hmm. you know cross over or or cause problems with but 
it, that's a weird environment to be in for a long time. Well, and that's what Andrew Lee said. You have studio etiquette. You know when to keep your mouth shut and you know when to speak up. And that was, you know, you have to really weigh that. Because believe me, I could tell you some stories of some bad situations in the studio. Let's hear some. That's <laughs> <laughs> one fine line. Oh, there's, there is one. But this on camera. <laughs> I hated him as a musician hated him i would literally dive to change the channel when he came on and then i had to work with him and they pulled me off a cush session that i had done all the tracking and overdubs it was now mixing it was david leonard who was my husband i had my feet up he didn't need anything and they pulled me off to do a live session hmm. because chad remember chad blake yeah his dad was had died oh. and so they it was okay. his session and they pulled me off to do it and this guy he didn't first of all he didn't he didn't like me the minute i didn't like him maybe it was i didn't like him and he could pick up on it he told stupid jokes and i didn't laugh and i didn't i i don't like his music and he was a prima donna which i didn't appreciate and he told me he walked over to me and he said you may not leave this room without asking for permission ever really yeah. was that here or yeah. sound studio oh. too oh geez. and i went okay so I went on like that for two weeks or something, and he had another piano brought in, and he wasn't even there. It was just it was just a pain in the ass the whole session. Plus, I didn't want to be there. So mm -hmm. at one point, everything was going, and they, you know, they were talking about the song, and I bent down to the engineer and I said, "I'm going to go to the restroom and make a call." Okay, are you okay? And he said, "Yeah." So I left and made a call and went to the restroom, and when I came back in. The artist stopped the whole session oh, and said, I told you that you have to ask permission to leave this session. I said, I did. I talked to you know, whoever the engineer was, and the engineer just looked down like this. And I thought, oh, it was awful. It was you awful. didn't back you up? No. Oh. So I went to David Leonard, and I said, you tell them I have to get off this session. I am not going to be treated like this. Tell them you need me. And then, so they pulled me off the session and the the guy, Big Star, complained that I had a chip on my shoulder and I got a letter of um, warning that I was gonna be fired if I didn't work with every personality. A letter of warning from the manager? From Craig. Oh, from Craig. Mm-hmm. Really? I had two weeks to straighten my ass out because Jeez. personalities ah. needed to work with every artist. Yeah, he's I big on letters. Guy. Huh? He was kind of big on letters. Oh, and he loved to just... Yeah. Was he blowing a cigarette in your face when he sent the letter to you? <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, well. Yeah, and then I resigned shortly after. I got I got back into good standing, and I said, see ya! <laughs> but that's the kind of weird thing where in... You had in, to eat in, shit in a, is what you had to do, but with a, a spoon and a smile. That's terrible. It is. Yeah. But if you're in a normal life situation... A lot of people would see that as very bad behavior. It was horrible behavior. Plus, I don't think they would have treated a man like that. I don't think they would have treated a guy like that. They no. might have, you know, he would have known his place. But there yeah. was something. I mean, I got a phone thrown at me one time because he was mad at his wife. And I said, really? Yeah. I mean, it was really weird how oh, there was a lot of shit that went on that you just had to handle. Yeah. So sorry I had to deal with that. That's not acceptable. Yeah, that was only for me. Well, think about drugs, alcohol, bunch of men and one woman. 
You know, it's kind of scary sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you broke the mold. You were the first. I did. And yeah. I told, and you had to be, it's, and it, it kind of ruined me because I have a real male sense of humor and women don't understand it. And men don't get it at all because, I mean, some men do, but I was raised in this environment, you know, I can raunch you out as much as anybody. In fact, worse, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, it, it was kind of a strange balance that you had to do because you were a woman and I wasn't gay, you know? Would have been easier if I was gay. <laughs> I would have kicked their ass. <laughs> but I mean, I you know I had keys on my belt. I wore tennis shoes and jeans, and you know, so um, it was weird. It was a weird balance, and it took me a while to find my balance. Coming from cocktail waitressing to this, it was a serious. You know, I wanted to succeed at this. I was serious about this job. Definitely a different interaction with the client. <sighs> Big time from yeah, and you cocktail had, waitress to uh, assistant and engineer. And you really had to walk on eggshells. You couldn't offend, but you couldn't also. I, I didn't want to roll over and well, and yeah. I also didn't want to get a reputation of getting my career on my back. You know, I mean, yeah. you can imagine. Jim Isaacson told me he didn't believe that I didn't take money for sex, and I went, "Are you yeah. really?" He said yeah, that. he said that to me. It's like what? Yeah. Huh? It's really weird, the perception that men have of women. Yeah. So years you know, ago, too, it's completely different. It was completely different. Yeah. And I had some pretty weird situations in the studio. Even later, when I, you know, what, 10 years later, when I went back to post, it was weird. Hmm. You just learned to deal with it. You couldn't cry sexual harassment. I mean, you couldn't. You'd have been out. So. Well, there wasn't any. <clears throat> back. I mean, there wasn't anything to wasn't cry any. about that they would listen and listen to you. I remember I was working a cowboy show at the Roxy one time, and I was working the floor. Do you remember the long? I don't know if you remember, but they had they had the stage, and then they had long rows yeah. of tables, right? And if you were working the floor, it was a bitch because you had to get, especially if you're working to the front, you know, and you had to, people would scoot their chairs out because there was never enough room. You were packed in there. So you'd have to like, you know, get over people. Oof. And the cowboy shows were fun. You made money, you know, they'd slap on the butt. But I remember climbing over the shoulders of two people like this and some guy reached up and grabbed me right on the top of my thigh in between my legs and I grabbed the hold of a shirt and I said, don't ever fucking do that. <laughs> Wow. I said, pat me on the ass. I can deal with that. But don't ever do that. Yeah. So, you know, you got, you had to play the game, but yeah, you couldn't be violated. Yeah. yeah. So try wow. being a That's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, well, it's, you paved the way for a lot of other women to get better treatment. Well, and that's what I realized too, that you paved the way for, like, I wasn't really allowed to be who I was because of the era that I grew up in. And, you know, you were supposed to be a lady. And, like, my mother wanted me to take secretarial skills so that I had something to fall back on. You know, I mean, they were all teachers. My whole family are teachers. I, that wasn't my thing, you know. It just wasn't my thing. I was kind of the black sheep. So, you know, you had to kind of pave your way. And I see women now, they're brought up knowing that they can do this, you know. Yeah. I mean... And so Different you way. did, you did pave the way for them. 
And it's kind of cool because they can actually develop their creativity instead of trying to fend off things. <laughs> because that's what they would, you know, people say, well, okay, well, you need to stay after the studio, after your session and just play with the equipment. And it's like, I got to go home and make sure there's milk and coffee and cereal for the morning. You know, I said to David, I said, I need a wife is what I need, yeah. you know? Somebody do the laundry and organize your home life so that you could do your career. So I'd send David to the store and he'd forget half the stuff and he'd come, it was just easier to do it myself. But on my way home from a 15 hour day, I would stop at that John's Market or whatever right over here, grab some things and go home. Somebody had to take care of the- Yeah, those were long days yeah. back then. The studio can be like that, especially if you want to play with the gear. You can be there for hours and hours. And sometimes it's super fun, but sometimes it's Sometimes just, you're done. Yeah. You want to go home, put your feet up, you know? So, or <laughs> put your head down. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, it, it, it was fun and I, it was a great experience. And I'm glad that I got to be here when music was still an art. I mean, not that it's not yeah. an art now, but it, it, it's a business now, and there's no two ways around it. There, it is yeah. a business, unless you're rich enough to make art, and then you don't care. But, and you see how many people are so talented, and they don't make it yep. in this town. That's right. I watch it over and over and over again. We used to call them demo dummies. Demo dummies. They'd get some money, and they'd want to come in for demos, and it's like, hmm. Is that what you called Van Halen when they first came in? Yes. <laughs> no. <laughs> do you remember, on Van Halen one more time, do you remember any of the songs that were recorded? Did you hear something and go, that's a pretty good song? Did something stand out to you? You know, it's funny because I always say, oh, I love that song. I remember cutting that song. <laughs> my husband, who's a real, my ex-husband, who was a real Van Halen freak, would say, no, you didn't cut that one. It's like, oh, <laughs> Oh. But now that I know I worked on two, maybe I did. Could maybe be. I did. Maybe. Thank you for that. Yes, worked on two. I'll go to a concert that somebody knows everything about this artist that I've worked with, and I'll go, did I cut that one? They said, yeah, you did. And I said, oh, okay. <laughs> Seriously, you don't remember. Perfect. <laughs> I mean, you know, it sounds yeah. familiar, but. Yeah, no, I guess it makes sense because it's such a blur. If you're doing the same kind of thing with so many different musicians, the equipment is the same, but it's in different locations. The rooms are somewhat similar. It's hard to keep it all. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there are definitely moments. I remember Africa. I remember, you know, mixing that. I remember the drum loop that we did. That was really fun. You know, there's certain things about it that you remember, but not something that maybe you'd want to know, but something that stuck with me, you know? Yeah. Well, anything about Van Halen is what I we, know. I, God, I, I, do you know how popular I'd be yeah. if I had taken notes? Yes, I do. <laughs> so, um, I have one, a few more questions. There's a couple of fan questions. If mm -hmm. there was like a 500 on our Twitter page, and I love, I'm sure <laughs> hey, people they found me when it. I was working with him. Nope. I started getting fan really and oh. calls at my house. No I kidding. Bet. And also Harriet, uh, who is a female engineer here, is obviously we want to give her a little shout out because I know she's a big influence. You're a big influence to her. Yep. So I wish uh, we didn't know what day this was happening, but uh, you've met her before. Yeah. So we want to give a shout out to Harriet Tam, an engineer here at Sunset Sound. 
Uh, Matthew Batone, Dave Chappelle's photographer, is also a Giant Prince fan. He and by the way, that you know Dave Matthew, Chappelle right? skit that they did, yeah, that was Prince. It made me laugh so hard. That was so Prince. Oh, that animated one, or that, or that not animated. That one where he, you know they play basketball yeah. in the uh, yeah. Charlie Murphy. Then you want to make mm-hmm. pancakes. Yes. <laughs> when I came here initially, I immediately thought that because Paula told me that Prince would be out there, you know, late at night playing in high heels and. Thank God I played basketball. And ping pong. Did you win? No. He was really good. Wow. In heels. I only saw him one time. I only saw him one time in tennis shoes, and that was a serious game. And I don't remember. It might have been with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis that he he challenged. Might have been him and Sheila with Jimmy Jam and Terry. I'm not sure, but he put tennis shoes on. Granted, they were white with gold glitter on them, but the, he put tennis shoes on, took off the high heel boots. Oh, wow. But I was, I was, I played basketball in, in you know, one high on school, one or so, horse. Yeah, it was one on one. Wow. And so I could keep up with him, so I wasn't shamed into, you know, sitting down. But all right, two quick questions from Matthew Batone. Um, he's a wonderful photographer, and his book Darker Than Blue is fabulous as well. Did Prince rename you Peggy Mac? And if so, how did it feel to be in a club that includes Vanity, Apollonia, Carmen Electra, and Sheila E.? <laughs> that's, you know, it's just, it was it was funny, but it's it's just not my, I just don't pretend to be anybody that I'm not, sure. you know? So I, that was that was kind of weird. It was fun, and it was funny, and everybody says, ooh, Peggy Mac. And it's like, mm, yeah. But... So, you know, Vanity was going to be Vagina. He wanted to name her Vagina. Oh and she you're kidding. Uh-uh. She wouldn't do it. <laughs> so they named her Vanity. That poor woman had a, a rough life after oh, Prince. Oh, she was the and, uh, sweetest Football player thing. that was accused of murder, or actually was convicted of murder. Um, and She was a ride. really nice, really nice soul. I don't know how else to say it. She was just really... <laughs> I didn't get to really know her like I did Sheila, but she was... She was a, Hollywood, drugs, fame, corruption, does a number on anybody. Um, I've often heard it said by Prince collaborators that he felt he could be himself more comfortably around women in the studio. Do you think the fact that he had female engineers starting with you affected the quality of the recordings because he felt more at ease? Yes, I did. That's what I said. I just think that male-female energy works, and it doesn't have to be sexual. I just think it works. And he felt very comfortable. I mean, there were some people that they didn't want me because I was a female. I mean, they were, you know, I'm not going to give you names, but yeah, mm. they didn't feel comfortable with a female. But he really did. He felt really comfortable and creative. A few fan questions. Sure. Do you remember the Tony Lamont's band coming in and tracking, which uh, also had a young Romeo Blue, aka Lenny Kravitz, playing bass? And Prince called them up. They were at SAR doing some uh, like demo work, and he said, "Go use my studio at Sunset." And yep. Did you track those sessions? No, that was um, David Z. We were here in three, and they were in two. And Prince would. That was when he was going back and forth, and that's actually where Kiss came from. Really? They where no, that was Maserati. Oh, Maserati, the band. Yeah. So he went over to listen to what they had cut, mm-hmm. and he took that song "Kiss" because oh. he liked it and made it a hit. Brought it over here, and 
Made it a Prince song. Mm-hmm. Wow, very okay. interesting. He took it away from him. But I love that song. That's a great song. And they, that yeah. backing track is all theirs. And then he put his vocal on it. Oh, really? Yeah, but, you know, he did that. He gave so much music away. He gave hmm. so much to Vanity and, and the Time and everything, to Vanity 6 and the Time and Apollonia 6. There were so many songs he, that that was all him. We yeah. cut all that, and then he would sing just underneath. You know, he'd just keep them up. <laughs> well, he would do tracks that he would give away. He'd do the vocal, a male vocal, and just so they had something to go off right. of, right? And yeah. if it was not f- followed very well sonically, he would use his vocal to kind of boost it a little. Huh. Do you recall the song Violet Blue off Jill Jones' album? No. And if so, No. Do you have a random fun memory of Paul Camerata you can share with us? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do I oh, ever? Is this going to go on? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you remember that night. No, I can't tell them. I can't tell them. That's a big oh. shame, shame, shame on oh. me. What's um, your all-time favorite session you've been on here at Sunset? Oh, that's a tough one. Just yeah. one that rings in that you were very Top happy. Three. And- Top three. Okay, top ten. <laughs> <laughs> well, all of them had their, you know, there were very few that were just hideous. Except that one I just told you about. That was hideous. Most of them had their moments here and there. You know, some of the impressive people I worked with, of course, were Van Halen, Prince, Elton John. You know, there were some really impressive times. Dan Fogelberg um, got propositioned on Fogelberg's. God, I'm glad I didn't do that then. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the one of the famous people he had on coming doing background, I was setting up the mic and he said something like, "Dan, where have you been hiding her?" And he said, "Do you like red wine?" And I said, "I do." And he said, "Do you have any at your house?" <laughs> <laughs> do you have any at your house? Let's go. <laughs> yeah. And it was real tempting, but thank God I didn't, because I heard about the rest of that night, and I'm so glad I didn't join uh-huh. in. But, you know, Marty Lewis died. Did you know that? Oh, I didn't know that. He was m- murdered. Yeah, I just... It he was, was murdered? It was awful. So he was... Um, he lived down in... Randomly? Uh, yeah. He was oh. down in... Uh, you know, Marty Lewis was such a... I th- did he, he move a, to Oregon? No, he no? moved down to um, Cabo San Lucas. Oh, he, really? And they found him floating in the bay with his throat cut. Now, you know, Marty was a Detroit little... Fucker. I mean, yeah, I loved yeah. him. He was great. Yeah. But he probably pissed some somebody off. I don't have any idea. But Or they, they robbed him or something. They could have robbed him. He yeah. was out on his boat. And Mike Kloster told me. And I went, oh, oh my God. Was that recently? A few years ago. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Well, but that's awful. Marty Lewis and I, we always had such a great time on the Fogelberg records. Because um, well, Fogelberg's dead too now. So yeah. I can tell stories. I know. <laughs> wait till they die <laughs> but i remember marty lewis said um he goes to the chiropractor a lot and the chiropractor says what do you do with your neck and he said i sit around all day and do this <laughs> <laughs> and then i remember fogelberg we used to every day we'd order a huge case of miller light that was you know he had mm-hmm. his two road guys that always you know we always got exactly what he wanted and drank the whole case. I mean, I, I, I didn't like Miller Lite, but um, I liked the hard stuff. But he was going home in his rented Mercedes. He was going home to, you know, the Beverly Hilton or whatever. Yeah. 
and he had a beer. He always took a beer with him. And, you know, they were pretty tipsy when they left here. And um, he was driving home, and the cops stopped him. Oh, they pulled him over? And he went to throw his beer out the window. Yeah. And the window was up. <laughs> oh, no. So it just went all in the car? Oh. Oh, did he take a little trip down to uh, he did. the local Moscow? <laughs> you know, I can remember talking to you. I don't know why this sticks with me, but you were starting a session with, with Marty and uh, Fogelberg. And it was in three. And somehow I, I said, well, how's it going? You know, you were just starting up. And you said, oh, it's kind of dark in here. Things aren't good. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, uh, Dan broke up with his girlfriend and it's like kind of a downer in here. Do you remember that? I, I remember you saying, uh, he's a little bit off. Well, there were some weird times, you know, yeah, something... I mean, Dan Fogelberg was one of those people when I was a, a, a young, you know, teenager, you know, I would look at his, you know, it's one of those things where you'd look at his record and think, Oh God, if I can meet him, I can make him so happy. You know, I just love oh, his yeah. music, know. you know. Well, and so then... The love ballads. Yeah, or, you know, yeah, yeah. It was all those sappy little songs. Yeah. So, you know, then you meet them, and they're just people. You right. know, they're just pe flawed people like we all are, you know. So, I mean, I like some of his music. It was a little sappy sometimes, but... Uh, he was popular. When I fell in love with it, I guess I was into that, you know. But, um, yeah, I mean, you get kind of hardened to music after a while, and it's like, oh, God, stop with it. Sap. <laughs> Sap sold well, though. Yeah, to women. <laughs> it did, yeah. I know. He used to get fan mail here. Oh, I so know. Send gifts here, and I, I remember that. Wow. People would send pictures, and they just loved him. Oh, yeah. I mean, I did, too. I, yeah. I grew up on his music, you know? Yeah. I learned to love on his music. There you go. Lots of good history here at Sunset Sound. Yeah, and he did He did a song, uh, oh, it was the, the father song. Do you remember that song? Oh, God, it made me it. cry about, oh, what is the, 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 oh, fuck, what's the name of that song? <laughs> Leader of the band. Oh, okay. And it's all about his father yeah. getting old and how he, you know, he, you know, whatever, whatever. And my dad was getting older and I, God, I just cried. I just love that song. And I played it for my dad and he looked at me like, what the fuck? <laughs> But the leader of the band is tired and his eyes are growing old, you know. It's just like a real heartfelt song. Yeah. So, yeah. I liked him. Yeah, he, he was a nice man. He was. Yeah. What, um, you know, there's, we get a lot of emails and messages on social media and people asking questions about engineering and how to get in here as a runner or start off as you did. What would be a piece of advice that you would give to assistant engineers, people that want to get into engineering, maybe a technique, maybe something, you know, recording hasn't changed that much in the last 60 years. We're just, this mic I'm on right now. Um, even, you know, my favorite mics, the Neumann U47. I, I, I'm a musician as well. And I try to use that every time I can. What's something that you would... Tell somebody to do? Yeah, to, at the recording school next door. If, we, if, they had one, if you had one bit of advice to share. Yeah, I told, I, I did a women's audio... Um, couple of audio panels you know with people and engineers were asking that and I said you know just keep your mouth shut and observe I mean that's the thing that's so annoying in in the studio I always thought when people would give their opinion and you didn't ask for it I mean I just think that you just have to be a part of 
find a way to be a part of that family and play your role in it kind of thing you know i mean i i i don't know how to i don't know how to say that i mean you just have to climb climb up i mean that's kind of what you do you take the next step i remember anderley asked me to be first chair and i said i'm not ready and he said get ready because next time i need an engineer it's coming you better be ready yeah so i mean I, I, you know, did as much as I felt comfortable with. And I, of course, pushed myself. My first record was Booker T, you know, his solo album. Oh, yeah. Really? Yeah. Wow. And it was funny because Prince, when I started working with him, he said, so who have you worked with before? And I said, well, um, I, I was an engineer on Booker T's record. And he said, you don't look that old. <laughs> and I Bo- said, well, Booker was, was married to Rita's sister? Sister, Priscilla, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and um, he was the nicest man. I saw him. I went to see him um, two years ago after I finished all my mm-hmm. my treatment and stuff. It was kind of like my little, you know, celebration nice. to myself. And I went up to San Francisco, and he was playing up in San Francisco. And I walked up to the table, and he just kept looking at me. And I said, Booker, do you remember me? Because I'd seen him through the years at the Grammys and stuff yeah. like that. And he kept looking at me, and I said, "It's it's Peggy," and he, did, he <laughs> it was so cute. I mean, I don't know. He's he figured his it third out. Third wife, and you know, his kid has grown, and his guitar player in his band, but he's still Booker, so talented. Yeah, he was in here about a year and a half, two years ago, doing a little recording, something. I don't know for what. But. He's a sweet man. Yeah. He's just, I just love him. So nice. talented. So yeah, he was a good guy, and he was um, in your first break. He was David's arranger for on Chris and Rita. You know, he arranged the horns and the strings and stuff like that. So he was, and then he wanted to do a solo album. We had, remember, James Gadsden was a drummer, and he they brought his drums in, and I went, oh fuck, because he had duct tape all over him. And then Gadsden came in and started playing, and was like, oh okay. Was I ran out of tape twice because they wouldn't stop playing. I mean, literally, wow. they they just loved playing, and Booker just kept just on singing. The real and, goal, yeah, huh? they just, yeah. I said, "Okay, guys, out of tape." But that was, yeah, wow. and that was my first record. And I remember they had, they had refurbished um, Studio One, mm-hmm. and I could not figure out why I was getting so much leakage. I had these huge foam baffles around everything. I could not figure out why there was so much leakage. And I think we were halfway through the record, and I walked out playing something. They were playing something, and the talkback speaker was hooked up with the speakers. It was crossed with the speakers, and it was feeding it oh. into the studio. <laughs> nice. I was so bummed. I was trying so hard to get all the leakage out. Yeah. Well, that was not added bad. something to it, though. Yeah, that was a two bandana day. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Almost a three. Yeah. I love that. Boy, that yeah. that walk when he was pissed, <laughs> he had that little bounce to his walk. Oh. <laughs> well, what do you think about this little series we're doing, documenting it's uh, all this cool. stuff? Yeah. I mean, how else will this stuff be, you know, shared, documented? And- well, in Sunset Sound, it's such. I mean. It's, it's such an incredible studio. When it when I first walked in here, you know, Tootie what set it up for Walt Disney soundtracks. Walt Disney, yeah, in the fifties, late fifties, right? Yeah, sixty, early sixty. Yeah, yeah, and then rock and roll boomed, and he was set up ready to go. I don't yeah. think he meant to be a rock and roll no. 
I don't know. Studio owner. Just sort of happened. But he yeah. had great mics. He had a great selection of mics. It was great rooms. And that just, I mean, we were hopping all the time back oh, I then. Know. And we had good people. Yeah. Know? That was the other thing. Yeah. I mean, it was always going. I know. Six sessions a day. Six sessions a day. Yeah. And weekends. They tried to book Christmas Day. Who was that guy? Robert? Robert Appair? Still around. I know he's doing post. <laughs> yeah, he's doing post. Yeah. But he tried to book Christmas Day and Tootie said no. Yeah. And somebody tried to book Thanksgiving and Tootie said no. Yeah. So we did get Christmas and Thanksgiving off. But those were the only days you got off. Only days that you got off for sure. Yeah, it was it was tough. I remember Opair was crazy. <laughs> he threw yeah. the beef uh, you weren't out of the Barbie Benton sessions or anything. I was with around. With Hugh's uh, I was girlfriend at the time. Yeah, I was around. But yeah. yeah, I wasn't on those sessions. But do you remember that Cher was up in Studio 2? She would come in on the back of Pat Simmons' motorcycle. And that was when Elton was here in 3, that he came down with hepatitis. Hepatitis, and we had to give the shots we out. Had to get, and the line, he, he had to give... Gamoglobian shots to everybody that he'd been in contact with. Which was and, the whole place. Yeah, well, and farther out, you know. Yeah. So I remember he had just given me a big old wet kiss right before he turned yellow. Elton John? Oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then the next day he turned yellow, and I was going, oh, my God. So they lined up. I remember Craig wanted to take pictures. Literally, Paul's office was up there. Yeah. We'd go up there and lay on the floor, and she, the the nurse would jab us, and yeah, the line my... went out into the parking lot, mm-hmm. and it was a <laughs> yeah. the most strange variety of people you have ever seen in your life. Getting shots in the in the rear end, <laughs> and I remember I was standing with a horn player. What's his name? Richie. Can't remember what his name was. He played on Booker's. He was a saxophone player, and there were a couple of gay guys standing next to us, and they said, they said to Richie. Did you, did you, were you with Elton? And he said, uh uh-uh. uh, she was, she kissed him. <laughs> to just, you. Yeah. That's good. And I was with her. I mean, <laughs> that was when homophobia was like this, you know. <laughs> it was hilarious. Yeah. But the, the different kind of people, it was just, it was really funny. And because Cher and I were the only women, we got to go first. Cher went first, and then I went. Yeah. Did you work on any chair sessions? Mm-mm. No. No, I worked on a Bette Midler. Do you remember the Rose? Oh yeah. Yeah, we did a couple yeah. of things. I, I can't remember her producer's name. He was really neat. He was really a nice man. And then Gene Simmons came in, and uh, it was the first time I met Gene Simmons, and he was actually like a very kind of like Mick Jagger. Like they were two different people. Mick Jagger was like this gentleman. Totally From his opposite. Showa persona. Huh? Yeah, and 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 so was Gene Simmons. He was the nicest, well-spoken, gentle guy, and here he was, this crazy on stage, you know, <laughs> Mr. Tongue. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, so it was interesting to see, and we got to see that side. We got to see kind of the normal side. Yeah. Prince was the only one that wasn't normal in the studio. He was always Prince, no matter where he was. So. <laughs> T Bone Burnett, ever work with him? I did. I liked T-Bone a lot. T-Bone was not much of, he, he was like kind of a, an arranger kind of guy when I first yeah. was exposed to him. And now he's huge. Oof. 
He was very talented. He was always very talented. But well, I I would like to touch on very briefly after you left Sunset, you'd had enough, and you went into uh, motherhood. Motherhood. (laughs) I was a mom. Yeah, I went. I thought it prepared me for motherhood, taking care of all these little rock and rollers all day and night. Nothing prepares you for motherhood. I had no idea. I literally thought I was going to put my baby on my back and come back into the studio. You had I, planned to come back to engineering? Oh yeah. okay. I thought I'd just throw on a backpack and we'd go back to the to the board. And uh, I didn't realize you can't even take a shower. You can't do anything when you've got a newborn. <laughs> I had no idea it was that much work. Hmm. So, Where did life lead you then into uh, sound design for films, correct? Yeah, after um, I had my second child... And then got divorced and had to had to go back into something. I had two little kids and no job and you know, it was kind of scary. So I went into post and became a sound effects editor and then slowly went into Foley editing, which, which I really loved. Enjoyed, yeah. I loved it because it was still recording, it was still creating, but it was the thing the thing about music and I realized that I liked doing it to something visual because there was actually something concrete that you could make believable. With music, it was so abstract and could go anywhere. There were so many variables that it was really hard because I would do what I liked, but did everybody else? I mean, do you know how many times you go to your car and play it? It's like, you know, that 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 confusion of what would play right on the radio and, oh, God, I just, that... I was a speaker queen because I just wanted that. Speaker queen. I was. I had so many pairs of speakers because I wanted a true sound, but everything was a variable, whether the crossovers were this or whether you had that. And I was like, oh, fuck. So, yeah, it was. I loved it, but it was hard. When it came to mixing and really knowing, I kind of lost that gut. My gut was tired. I always kind of knew from, you know, that gut. Toto threw me in and said, mix this. And then they came in and said, wow. But you kind of lose that. I don't know if you lose it with exhaustion or your enthusiasm kind of just, you know, what happens. But I just, I couldn't find it anymore. So it took me a long time to climb up out of that 10 years before I kind of felt excited about sound again. And fully was safe. Yeah. You know, there was nobody... Well, no, that's not true. No, prima donna artists. <laughs> well, in movie business, that's pretty Well, that's true if you had to. Yeah. But I didn't really have contact with them, just a little bit. It was usually through a sound designer, and then they would have to deal with the companies and the producers and stuff. So, yeah. But that's pretty crazy business. I, I remember I told Andrew Lee that I wanted to. I remember what it was. We were, I'm sorry. We were doing um, Chris Christopherson. Remember that? Awful movie he did, um, Heaven's Gate. Oh, yeah. Michael but, Cimino film. Oh, Panned big time. But I know. Well, Four and was, a half hour movie. Oh, yeah. So I wanted to go see it. And I remember thinking, God, I'd really like to do sound for movies because this is awful. You know? Yeah. I mean, it, they tried to make the clock over here and it was real loud. I mean, that could be the theater too, not having the, the sound system balanced. But it was like... It was just really weird. It was like you couldn't lose yourself in the movie. You couldn't lose yourself in that movie anyway. 
but um, <laughs> you couldn't lose yourself in yeah. the movie because the sound was bugging the shit out of me. So I thought, I really want to do sound for movies. And I told Anderley that, and he said, oh, so you want to go from crazy to crazier. Uh, oh, is that what he said? <laughs> nice. He said, you think this business is crazy. You wait till that business. Oh, boy. But yeah, I loved it. And I didn't have to work with people. I got That's to just good. create. I didn't have to work with egos. Well, I hope that a publisher or co-author will contact you because I would totally read a book by you. And I think you're so, so entertaining people. and you've lived a life that so many of us can only dream. I know. That's what my sisters always say. You had such an interesting life. I said, I really did. Didn't set me up for retirement, but had a great life. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of memories. Something I could tell my grandkids that I'm never going to have. <laughs> But imagine just the show, though, in 20 years, uh, this will be documented, you know, and we can learn about you and learn about the people that worked with these monster artists, which were the soundtracks of people's lives and their youth. I know. And you were you know, in like it. Dweezil said, you know, it was you, Don and Ted in that room that day when eruption was cut. And nobody well, else. If you remember being. <laughs> if, if you have a recollection. Yeah. God, I wish. You know how many guys it would impress if I took notes in that session? Yeah. Yes, I do. You'd have. I, yeah. just, <laughs> I, was, just, right I was just after Eddie. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I kind of had a hormone jag after Eddie. Sat right there at that table. <laughs> Trying to <laughs> trying to get him to come home to my house. <laughs> I love it, Eddie. <laughs> was that uh, before Valerie? Oh yeah, way before Valerie. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, yeah it was way days. before Valerie. Van Halen one and Van Halen two, like before the band broke. You know, but I do remember when she he started dating Valerie, and she gave him for she was on one day at a time. Mm -hmm. Is that is that yeah. what it was? Yeah. Um, and she gave him for his birthday a Ferrari, a $60,000 Ferrari. And it was, at, was it a Ferrari or? Oh, I know the story. Yeah. And it was out here. Wow. Yeah. That was for, that was for his birthday or something. Didn't so. something happen then though too? I don't remember. Okay. I don't remember that, but. I really, I, we all appreciate you coming in. Do you have sure. any questions for Dweezil or Paul or myself or the studio? Or? Dweezil was 10 when I was here. I mean, I've known about Dweezil <laughs> forever and watched him grow up. I watched Paul grow up. That's true. <laughs> we kind of grew up together. Kind of did. <laughs> same same decades. Yeah, it's nice to see that you've settled down and taken on your daddy's business. Oh, well, thank you. Yeah, he works very hard. He's here every day. He's so kind to everybody that works for him, and he's an amazing. And person. so was and his daddy. His daddy was amazing. That's the first question I asked him when I interviewed Paul like eight months ago. Was what was your dad like? You know, oh, his dad was incredibly was, kind person. I never met your mom. And accomplished. Oh, yeah, and humble. Oh, my God. He was just the sweetest man. I loved Tootie. Yeah, we he, miss him. I know. He was just, the only time I ever, you know, got reprimanded by him <laughs> was after. Well, the you David never wanted Foster. to get him mad. Not with no, an Italian I, and temper. I don't think I ever got him mad, but he did no. sit me down and tell me I had to leave him. The cojones. Leave them alone. Just <laughs> leave the guys with, get with their cojones. Now my theory is lop them off if they misbehave. Yeah, right. I'm just teasing. <laughs> they do it to horses. Yeah. Do it to dogs. I can't see. Yeah. If the cat's peeing someplace, you neuter him. Yeah. My, my daughter said, Mom, if you want a date, I wouldn't tell anybody that. 
I wouldn't tell your date. <laughs> yeah, you better keep that to yourself, Mom. <laughs> Just <Funny>. neuter him. <laughs> You just kidding. Like a script or something, Peggy. I'm thinking yeah. I'm, I'm producing something in my mind right now. We need I, know. I know. Well, you're a wonderful person. Thank, Thank you. you from all of us from coming in and spending the day with us. It's so astonishing for me to hear these stories. And, uh, you know, obviously I wasn't there for them, but, uh, you know, hear from your lips to my mind. And it's great. I remember my parents didn't approve of what I was doing. They didn't approve of me being in Hollywood. I totally lost. And we were a very close family. And I totally lost touch with them for about. Five to six years. They, they continue to stay in Blythe? Yeah. Yeah. In fact, my mother just my mother just died at 98. In Blythe? Yeah. Oh, wow. And they're still on the, they were still on the farm that I grew up on. But um, I remember my mother took me aside and she said, Peggy, there's such kooky people in that business. <laughs> and I said, Mom, I'm one of those kooky people. <laughs> I and fit I in it. so well. <laughs> I never felt like I fit in anywhere until I'm around musicians. And they're so flaky. So it's really kind of, you know, it's, it, most musicians are not real down to earth. It, I, it can be the case. It can be the case. I mean, there are some second generations, obviously, that, you know. And your dad was pretty down to earth. In a, well, yeah, and he was, he was all about homebody. getting things done on, on time because, you know, uh, he... You can't make five albums in a year without being really good at what you do and being really quick at it. And he, in in the same way that Prince liked to be hands-on and, and do a lot of things, my dad was completely that way. Yeah. Could make his way around. You know, he did like to work with people who were also very fast and could help him get ideas off the ground quickly. But, you know, that that's the thing. If you have a, a love for the creative side of it, you need people that can help spring up new ideas keep you going the downtime is the killer to creativity right. so you know that that kind of stuff i grew up seeing all that and he was he was never happier than when he could do something that was like a really creative part and you know especially if something funny or off the wall happened that was unexpected and it was captured on a recording he well, he was very different. I mean, he yeah. was, and that's what he kind of, that was his selling point, is that he was so off the wall. But I think having a family and having a normal family, I mean, somewhat, I, I don't know, but it seems like a family kind of grounds you into reality. And that's what I think when I was in the studio, the people that didn't have, you know, like Templeman's, his wife was up in Hope Ranch in mm -hmm. Santa Barbara, and he had nothing here to really... Is it still recording? He didn't have yeah. anything to really go. You remember when he went off the rails? It yeah. was really bad. Yeah. It was really scary. He was this cute little together guy, and it was like, you know, it was it was scary. I'm glad he came back. Yeah. I'm really I'm really glad that he didn't take yeah, that road. But I think when you don't, ha and you know, if you didn't have to drive, if you could afford to take a limo. You could get really fucked up. I mean, the one thing that I didn't do is I had to drive home. So I had to be careful. I mean, there were times I was driving home going, oh, please, God. Oh, please just let me make it home and not get stopped. I mean, you know, yeah. it's kind of scary because this is such a womb-like situation that you, then there's the outside world that's kind of freaky out there, you know. Yeah, pre-Uber too. Yeah. <laughs> Camera's going to shut down in one minute, but last question. What's your favorite Prince song? Oh, that's a tough one. Mine's The Cross. Paul, we'll come back to you, Peggy. 
Raspberry Beret. Oh, I, I always like that. that song. Yeah, see, that's a, I love that song. Yeah, Mr. Zappa. You know, I don't know all of his songs that well. I'm just, I know the ones that I've heard on the radio the most, and I like the feel of uh, the song "Purple Rain." So uh, shout out to "Running with the Dweezil," which is Dweezil's podcast on Reward Music. If you're not listening to it and you're a Van Halen fan, you are severely missing out. Oh, I've got to listen. I got to get some notes. Go to sunsetsound.com <laughs> to get a hoodie, t-shirt, anything to support independent studios. Uh, leave a Google review, share this web series, anything. And again, Peggy, thank you so much for your day. You're, you're highly entertaining, very knowledgeable, and just a legend in what you've accomplished. You. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Hey, I think my best accomplishment was my kids. They turned out to be normal, working, solid human beings, good people. Okay. So That's great. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of that.